All right, good morning. Welcome to Awakening. If you're new, my name's Ryan. And if you even care, you guys, you guys are into community this morning. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, hey, I wanted to start uh, just by sharing a cool story that I heard this last week from my mother-in-law. Uh, and I just wanted to encourage you as a church, us as a church. Uh, my, my mother-in-law lives in Scotts Valley. She was going to get her uh, nails painted, and she's one of those people that when you're around, she just is uh, amazing. Like, she'll talk to anyone that you feel completely loved the minute you're, uh, you're around her. I mean, she's just this incredible human being. So everywhere she goes, she gets into these inc- uh, great conversations. So she's getting her nails done, and of course, there's a lady sitting next to her, so she strikes up a conversation with her and discovers that this guy, um, works at Del Mar High School. And so, that's here, by the way. Some of you <laughs> weren't, didn't know if you, you caught that. Uh, and so, and uh, my mother-in-law is like, oh, d- did you know that there's a church that meets on your campus? And the, the, the gal, the gal, girl, gal, I don't know, uh, was like so excited. Yeah, yeah, Awakening Church. And I loved that. Uh, and and she was like, you know, every Friday, they bring donuts for us. <laughs> and she was, she was telling my mother-in-law, she, she was like, you know, some Fridays, I forget that it's Friday. And so I go into the office and see the box empty in the trash can. And I'm so mad. I don't know why donuts mean so much to teachers. <laughs> donuts and coffee, apparently, um, it is uh, gold. But they love it. And she's like, yeah. And, and she, this is, she doesn't know that that she's talking to like her son-in-law's the pastor whatever uh, and and she's like and guess what they serve our campus like they clean up around here they're literally on their hands and feet scraping up gum and they've planted plants we love awakening church isn't that great yes come on Because if you got nothing, I don't know if you're going to have anything else to clap at the entire time, so you might as well go big now. Um, but we said from day one, this is more than a place to meet, but a people to love. And by God's grace and your generosity, we're doing that, making an impact here on this campus. In fact, in a couple of weeks, uh, we, at the end of every semester, throw the teachers a party and the faculty a party. We, uh, we cater it, and so we call it a Christmas party because we're paying for it. Uh, and... But it is just an incredible time, and the principal oftentimes has me uh, talk to the entire uh, faculty and staff, and it's just amazing what God has done uh, here. And I got to tell you, if you think teachers like um, donuts, wait until you see what happens when they get tacos. (laughs) They turn into the high schoolers that they're serving. I mean, it's crazy. They get in line quick. Uh, but uh, that's part of what we mean when we're talking about being in a church that unleashes extravagant generosity uh, because we have an extravagantly generous God. Uh, next week, we're going to do something as a church, and we've done every year from the very first day when we began, is we take this season to say, we're going to, in the midst of a season that should be all about giving, but it subtly turns into getting, we're going to 
repurpose it back to what it meant and really do give generously. And so if you got this right here, this is a little generous campaign card. It's got all the information you need to know. Would you take this? Would you read this? Here's my prayer, because I don't have time to like dive into all this, and you're all really smart people, and I know you can all read good too. Yeah, I said read good. That's intentionally bad grammar. Okay. Um, but would you pray about participating with us? And my prayer is that we'd have 100% participation of our church, that you would go, yeah, okay, maybe I can only do $10, maybe I can do $20, whatever it is, uh, and participate and be in part of the story. Because our story isn't just about this campus. Our story is impacting communities around the world. In fact, uh, we focused in on Haiti, and this year we're focusing on two big things, water and education. And would you be a part of that with us? In fact, we wa- I want to see not only 100% participation, I have a dream and it's a dream and I'm praying about it and praying for our church that we would be able to give this Christmas season $70,000 away which seems like a lot but when you do the math and sometimes the math feels hard in this service because we're not as big as the other service uh, because you're like wow oh my gosh but if you do the math it's literally $275 per person which for some that's a lot of money, and you can do less. And for others, that's not a whole lot of money, and you can do way more. Would you pray and be a part of it, and let's see what God does and how we get to be a blessing, not just here, uh, but around the world this season. All right? You with me? This means yes. This means no. Okay. Okay. Let me pray, and we'll dive in. Jesus, thanks so much for this morning. Thanks for this time. Father, I ask that you would speak, that you would work, and that you would move. We invite you here. There are some people in this room that desperately need to hear from you. And so would you clear the distractions and whatever else is in the way that we might hear exactly what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're starting a brand new series called In Pursuit of Peace, a three-part series. In fact, kind of four, we're going to conclude on Christmas Eve, but for the next three weeks, we're talking about peace. Uh, And this morning, we're talking about inner peace. Next week, we're talking about future peace. And then finally, week three, uh, December 20th, and hopefully you'll be here December 20th. I know like all this crew won't be here December 20th. Uh, We're talking about relational peace. And it's so interesting, isn't it? When, when we talk in pursuit of peace, is, is that that is the deep longing of our soul, and it, it is the deep cry for our world, isn't it? I mean, just think about the last week, and we had San Bernardino and, and the atrocity that happened there. We had Paris and the ISIS attack, and we live in a world that, that just, it feels like it's continually spinning out of control into chaos, and, and we look around, and we go, man, I just so long for peace out there. I long for a world that, that is restored and right. I long to not have to worry and to wonder, are we safe? I long for peace. And out there is one category, but we also find it in here, of this deep hunger, this deep longing for peace. In fact, I I believe every single person on the planet is in a singular pursuit. That is is the soul craving for peace. 
And we're going to spend today talking about inner peace. How do you experience peace of the soul, of the mind, peace in your life? Now, here's the problem with peace, and I think there's a few of them, and we're going to talk about it. But when we look at the world around us and the state that it's in, and then we unpack just our own experience, we wrestle with this question. Is peace really possible? Right? I mean, I mean we all want it, and we're all going to keep pursuing after it, right? But, but isn't it that kind of where we're at? Is peace really possible? Because we run into time and time again, maybe glimpses of peace, maybe glimmers of peace, but ultimately, here's how peace feels like, doesn't it? It feels like a carrot on a stick in front of you that's always, in, always right there dangling, but you never quite can get there, right? It's just kind of right there, and you're like, ah! Is peace even really possible? And so this morning, what I want to do is do two things. I want to diagnose the problem with peace and why it feels like it's this carrot dangling on the stick and then talk about God's pathway or God's solution to experiencing peace both with him and with yourself. And so if you got your notes, if you would open them up, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is this letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus in Asia Minor. Uh, and he is writing, uh, and the first three chapters is what's known as the indicative. And we talked about this as we kicked off the book. And the indicative is all about what is true of you. It indicates what's true of you. In the next three chapters, then, is what theologians call the imperative. It's how do you live out what's already true of you? In chapter 2, he's going to unpack this whole idea of experiencing peace in life. And, he, and in one, one phrase, I mean, it's so powerful. In one phrase, he unpacks the problem with peace. And, and, and it's going to be one of those things where when, when I say it, you're going to look at it and scratch your head a little bit because you haven't thought about it quite like this probably before, but then when it's unpacked, you go, no, that's it. That's exactly it. And by the way, that's why you should read your Bible because amazing stuff like this is in there. So here is the problem with peace. Peace, here's the problem, demands that perfection not only be attained, but also maintained. Peace demands, and we don't think of it like this, but there's a demand to peace, uh, that it demands that, imp uh, that perfection not only be attained, that you reach it, but it also has to be a consistent thing, that it has to be maintained. This phrase right here explains the honeymoon syndrome, right? Uh, okay, you're not with me quite yet. Okay, check this out. And we've all seen it where people go through the honeymoon stage, you know what I mean? Because here's what happens in the honeymoon stage. It, you meet that guy, you meet that girl, and, and all of a sudden, you hear people saying this. They're in the honeymoon stage. Oh, she's perfect. He's so perfect. And, and you're kind of looking at him and going, he don't look all that perfect to me. You know, she's not, all, I don't know about that. But there's something that, you know, in the honeymoon stage, you become blind. Some people say dumb, but at least blind. And for a season, they are perfect to you. And because they are perfect to you, you experience this euphoric honeymoon stage of 
And then the day comes when he's no longer perfect. And it might be two months, it might be two years, it might be last week, and some of you are like, Lord, I need help, and he's here, thank God. (laughs) And she's no longer perfect. See, peace, here's, here's what's so interesting, peace demands perfection, not only to be attained relationally for one another. See, when imperfection enters into a relationship, all of a sudden peace is broken, and we've all experienced it, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with a spouse, whether it's with a family member. The minute, and let me unpack perfection real quick for you, just so, and this isn't a biblical definition, this is just the lowest standard of definition possible so that we can all agree on this, okay? Here's my working definition for perfection. What you could be and what you should be, right? I mean, when you don't live up to what you could be, you feel a disconnect, a lack of peace in your own soul. When you don't live up to what you should be as a dad, you experience a disconnect, lack of peace in your relationship with others. What you should be and what you could be. Now, Here's what's interesting. When we look at the Bible and when the Bible talks about peace, uh, and at the top of your notes, I gave you two different definitions for peace. The world's peace, and this is just Webster's definition of peace, the world's peace is simply this, the absence of disturbance and hostility, free from internal, external strife. It's literally no conflict. But when God defines peace, it's so much deeper and richer and bigger than that. Uh, The Hebrew words, and you've probably heard of it before, it's the word shalom. In Greek, it's irene. Uh, And here's what it means. It means to be complete. It means to experience a soundness of spirit, wholeness of health, harmony in relationships, success and fulfillment of purpose. So when we're talking about peace and when God's defining this of what he longs for your life and when we want to define it, it's not just the absence of conflict in relationship. What he's longing for and actually what you're longing for is a wholeness of who you are. Now look at how the Apostle Paul says this. He says it this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He's just saying what we just said about peace, just in a little different words. In fact, Merry Christmas. You're dead. In fact, if you wouldn't mind, just I read the word complete, wholeness, fulfillment. As for you, let's go back and just reread this. You were incomplete. As for you, you were unfulfilled. As for you, there was a lack of wholeness. There was a fragmentation of your soul. Why? Because of transgressions. Now, transgression simply means to take the wrong path. We've all taken the wrong path. It it means maybe a misstep or go the wrong way. Uh, And sins is the the picture of an archer who pulls back the bow to shoot at the target and yet misses. And this is what we do with peace, by the way. 
Because the problem with peace is what we understand, and intuitively we live this out, for peace to occur, we have to not only attain, but we have to maintain peace. But when that comes in, how do we experience peace? What we subtly start to do is instead of that whole what you could be and should be, we just simply adjust the target, don't we? And we, instead of adjusting our lives to what we could be and should be, we begin to move that target closer to us just so that we can feel good enough, but it never actually solves the problem, does it? Now, the Apostle Paul is going to go on and, and tell us why it's so hard to maintain peace. Because for some of us, there's been a moment in time when, when you actually lived out what you could be and should be. In fact, any relational conflict, if you remember this, that you have, and in that, in that conflict, maybe you're in a fight, and you're fighting with one another, and the other person says, you never, and you fill in the blank, what you immediately think of is the one time you actually did, right? You never take out the trash. I'm like, I did that three months ago, okay? No, thank you very much. You never compliment. I, I said a compliment back in 1993, okay? You never, and we all immediately go back to the moment we attained what we could be and should be, but the Apostle Paul is going to tell us, well, why is it that you don't maintain this? Look at what he says. He's going to say, first one, that there's this external pressure. There's a world system. He says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways, followed the paths of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He's going to say there is external pressure that pushes you away from what you could be and what you should be. We've all experienced it. And those of us parents, we've watched our kids fall into this. We call it peer pressure, right? And you say, well, no, don't follow the crowd. And, and maybe your mama said this, yeah, you know, if all your friends would jump off a bridge, would you do it too? And your answer was, well, it depends on the bridge. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, mom. <laughs> and yet what the Bible says is there is a world system that pushes and pulls us away from what we could be and should be. In fact, for followers of Jesus, we believe that there is a spiritual world and that there's an enemy that is actually pushing us away from what we could be and should be. And there's this external pressure. Now, it's important to note because one of the things we tend to do is instead of taking ownership of where we're at, we blame. We blame others. We blame him. It's her fault. It's his fault. Um, it's my environment. Uh, this last week, I, um, not even this last week, someone gave us fudge. <laughs> I mean, like, incredible Rocky Road chocolate fudge. Last night I had four pieces, like big, big pieces. I put it in the fridge and then kept going back to the fridge. And I kept making excuses for the fudge and going, you know what, it's just Saturday night and we're putting up the Christmas tree and it's Christmas season. Now did the person who gave me the fudge make me eat the fudge? No, thank you, one, thank you, one, thank you, thank you. Now, but, but this, is, this is what we do, okay? What I do. We all do it. 
all of a sudden, yeah, of course there's external pressure. Of course there's things in our lives. Of course there's things that are tempting and pulling us away from what we could be and should be. And yes, that is true and that is a reality. But at the same time, there is a responsibility. I ate the fudge. I opened the fridge. I pulled it out. I had one, which was great. It was all that I needed. My kids asked if they could have some. I said, no, it's just daddy's. <laughs> I was even selfish in my eating the fudge. And I say that four pieces because that's the amount I can remember eating. Could be more. See, part of the problem of experiencing inner peace is there's external pressures. Now, at the same time, we have to accept responsibility. We give in and we give way. And just like we do the same thing in our work world, the, the world system, is, it's just the way the work world works. It's just the way it happens here. It's just the way we go about this. And we fall in line. He says there's a second problem why it's hard to maintain. And not just external pressures, but an internal impulse, human nature. He says this, all of us live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings. That, that's the internal longings of our flesh, human nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. And, and we have a language for this, that there's this internal impulse that pulls us away, that, that tempts us, that, that immediately raises its head when we even begin to go, you know, what I could be and what I should be. We call it, oh, you know what? I'm just human, right? We get this. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, we have language around this that to err is to what? Be human, well, nobody's perfect. And see, the problem with inner peace is that it demands perfection. Not only to be attained, but maintained. And at the same time, we have an external pressure, an internal impulse that's keeping us and, and pulling us from being who we're made to be. And so as a result, the past we choose oftentimes undermine the very peace we desire. The decisions we make, whether it's relationally or whether it's just in who you long to be. Now, I want to talk about one last word, and then we're going to move to the good news, okay? Just, just one last word. Hang in there with me. Uh, and, and this word is the word appease. Appease is, uh, comes from an old French word, uh, and appizer, and some of you who know French, you can correct me afterwards. Thank you very much. I even like, went on Google to get the proper pronunciation, and it did not help. To appease, it's not a word we use a lot, is to make peace, to pacify, to reconcile, or to bring to peace. What we understand, intuitively do, and, and do as a human beings is when peace is broken because of our imperfection, we readily recognize that appeasement needs to be made. The reason we're not currently experiencing peace is because we realize we need to make peace. Now, I said another way is if you don't have peas, uh, peace, not peas like the vegetable, you must appease. I, I was trying to make it kind of catchy and rhymey so you'd get that. Or There must be appeasement for our lack of peace. Here's, here's what I mean by that. 
And we see it all the time. It's the husband that knows he's in the doghouse for what he did. And what does he do? He stops by the flower shop on the way home. Why? Because he's making appeasement for. It's the kid that realizes they did something really, really wrong. And they're somehow trying to preempt any of the punishment that, you know, that, that they're going to get by cleaning their room ahead of time. They're making appeasement for it. This last week, I was, um, had a great week, full week. By Thursday, I was pretty tired, and I, uh, I just kind of was, you ever have that? It's one, nothing, a great week, but by the end of the, near the end of the week, I was just getting tired, and football game on, that was great, but my, my energy level was low, and then as a result, my, I, I wasn't present at home, and I was a little quick with my anger, and Ryder um, had said he was going to do stuff, and I'd asked him about his homework, and he said, yeah, yeah, I got it done, and then at like 8 o'clock at night, we realized he didn't do any of it, and I'm like, oh, great, and I'm, by the way, I go to bed early, so like, I'm like getting ready for bed by 8 o'clock, uh, and so, shut up, don't make fun of me, okay, <laughs> um, but, uh, but as, we're, as we're going through that, I'm like, okay, now he's got to be doing his homework, but then he's coming in and out, and he's whining, and he, uh, it just was one of those moments. In that moment, I just reacted in anger, and I yelled at him, and, and it's one of those where in the moment you can see, wow, this is way bigger response than what was needed for the moment, and this is not right, but you couldn't stop it. You ever have that moment? Thank you, you did too. Uh, you know, and, and, I'm, and I yell at my son, and, I, and I, like, I have his shoulders, and I'm just telling him, like, this is not okay, and yet what I'm doing is not okay, and, and then I kind of get done, and I'm like walking away, and Jenny's going, you need to go make that right, and I'm like, you're right, give me a second, I need to go <laughs> walk, and I'll be back, and I go to, to Ryder, and I, I sit down on his bed, and I said, now, son, your behavior and what you're doing was not acceptable. But at the same time, it's not acceptable for daddies to talk to their sons like that. And I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And you know, he's crying. I'm crying. We're hugging each other. Here's the interesting part about our imperfection is it doesn't just bring peace or break peace between my son. It broke peace between my wife and I as well. Because I didn't live up to what I could be, but not even that, what I should be as a dad. And as a result, it impacted what I should be as a husband, didn't it? I remember going in to Jenny and I said, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not the type of man I want to be. That's not the type of dad I want to be. I, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And, and she's like, yeah. And then she fell right asleep. She just falls asleep so fast. <laughs> And the problem with her falling asleep so fast is this. I wasn't at peace with myself, and I needed appeasement for myself, and yet I'm left with myself. And some of us have been there, and some of us are there right now. Because you know internally you need to be appeased. You need to make peace. See, the problem with peace is peace demands perfection, not only be attained, but maintained. And if it's not, then we need appeasement. So then here's what God's up to. 
How do we experience peace? Can we really experience peace with God in our lives? And here's God's pathway. With all that negative, and, and we memorized this passage as our staff, and the first couple of verses were like, oh man, this is, this is a downer. And then it got to this verse. It's so good. You ready? God's pathway to inner peace. But, I love that but. It's such a good but right there. But because of his great love for us, even when you didn't like you, God loved you. Even when you felt like you had to make the greatest appeasement and you're in deficit, God says, I love you. I'm for you. God, who is rich in mercy, withholding what we rightfully deserve, that's what mercy means, made us alive. Go back to our definition, shalom, peace, complete, whole, fulfillment. You can put in there, made us whole. God, who loved us, full of mercy, made us complete, who fulfilled us with Christ, even when we were dead, imperfect, in transgressions. Then he says this, it is by grace, circle that word, we're going to get to that, you have been saved. Underline that word saved. Now in the Greek, there's, it's a tense language, and so this is in the perfect tense. In the perfect tense here, it, it is a past action that has ongoing or continual results. And this is so important because, back to our definition, for peace to occur, you need perfection to be maintained and attained. Here's what's so cool about this. This whole idea it is by grace, God's unmerited favor towards you, his pursuing good. It's undeserved in any way. It's completely the benevolent gift of God himself. Grace, you've been saved, past tense, pulled out of your imperfection. Appeasement's been made, but it's not just a one-time, pastime deal. It is a punctiliar point in time that took place on the cross when Jesus died and he rose again. He saved you, and as a result, it has ongoing, continual results. It is maintained not because of what you did, but because of what he did. That is grace, and that, by the way, is good news. Can I get an amen? I just need something right there. Come on. And God raised us up with Christ. What's true of you is that it, you're with Christ. See, the same thing that's true of Jesus is true of you. Seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that, and he just kind of gets on, a, he's like, I can't believe this. And so in order that the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And you're like, okay, so what was the pathway of the peace? He's going to revisit it, explain it. First, grace from God. Grace from God. God's appeasement for you. He says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not that anyone can boast. See, grace is the key ingredient to peace with God and peace with your Self. Grace, God's unmerited favor. And then he's going to go on. We're going to unpack this just a little bit, so I'm not rushing past this. 
But, but he's gonna go on and say a second thing. But inner peace is a gift from God to be received, not a reward to be earned. This is actually at the core of why so many have struggled with inner peace right there. We end up in a cycle. The cycle is, and you, you don't readily, like we don't pay attention, we're just caught up into it. The cycle is we long for peace. And so we try to do and act and earn, and then we fail. Then we feel bad, and we know that we need to appease, and we try to do our way back to peace, and we end up in this cycle that never produces peace. And he says it's a gift. See, gifts are amazing. I love gifts. It's one of my love languages to receive. Not necessarily to give. That's Jenny's, which makes us a great couple. (laughs) Faith is the agency of receiving the gift of God. When you put your faith and trust, when you say, I believe and I'm going to put my full weight in Jesus. It's a gift. Can't earn it. He says, the pathway to peace with God is grace from God because you can't do it on your own and then purpose for life. And this, by the way, the order really matters because we flip the order and it messes everything up. He says, for you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and he strategically placed you here to live out that purpose. And and that is a big part of experiencing peace, of knowing your purpose and your place. And so many of you, you're longing for peace. And part of that isn't this whole grace idea. It's embracing grace to the point that you realize and know that God has strategically designed and made you that you have a purpose, that you're worth it, that when he looks at you, this is so good. He says, you're my masterpiece. And when he looks at you, he's like, hey, he's like I did good. Like, yeah, he's, he's looking at you. He's like, man, I, I did good with her. I did real good with him. He, he's going, wow. Wow, look at you. Wow. It's amazing. You're my, you're my masterpiece. Some of you just need to hear that this morning because you don't feel like it. You're living in a deficit, aren't you? I, I like to paint. I haven't done it in a while. But you, you had that, this experience where you're painting and you're just kind of getting everything out and done and you just step back and you just go, wow. Yeah, me neither. I've never experienced that. (laughs) But God has with you. With you. Isn't that amazing? See, grace from God then moves you to purpose in life. It's what we call the cycle of grace. I've used this, this chart many times, but this is so important. Uh, look in your notes and, or up here, the cycle of grace. 
uh, because the order matters. Grace from God, purpose in life. And right under acceptance, put a number one. Sustenance, put a number two. Significance, a number three. And then four, fruitfulness. You start with acceptance. Grace always starts us from a place of acceptance. We did a whole series on that. You can go back and listen, so I don't need to get all in that. But it, it is all about your starting place. You are the beloved delight, uh, fully accepted son or daughter of the King Most High. That is your standing, and out of that, all of life flows. And until you embrace that reality, there's going to be a dissonance in your soul. Acceptance moves then to sustenance. Now, sustenance isn't a word we use a whole lot either, but what this means is just simply habits of the heart that recalibrate your soul to what's already true of you. What are habits? And what we find is there's a world system, external pressures, there's internal impulse, human nature, that then begins to move us away from who we could be and should be and what's actually true of us. And so what are habits in your soul, in your life, that you begin to put in place to remind you of your accepted, beloved identity in Christ, that what's ever true of Jesus is currently true of you? And for some, it might be putting on worship music. I have, I have a buddy, we just talked about this good buddy, and, and he was sharing with me where, where he was at, and this was just so powerful because it impacted me. He's got one song, is, it goes with our theme, is the Prince of Peace, and, um, and, and he's just been listening to that song to remind him of what's already true, and I love that. For some, it might just be a worship song. For some, it might be getting in God's Word and really beginning to unpack what's actually true of you, spending time, starting the day, just recalibrating in your soul. And then significance. This is your purpose. This is for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And out of that, then you experience the fruitfulness of your life, the output or the product. And if you wouldn't mind, would you draw a line just to, between, uh, you know, acceptance and sustenance and fruitfulness? On the top, would you write input? And on the bottom, would you write output? And this is the input that you need to sit in to be able to output what God has for you. Now, here's where we mess it up. Is we reverse the order, don't we? See, we don't start from a place of acceptance. We start with, from a place of fruitfulness. What I do, what I accomplish and then we go back to significance. So out of what I do, I find my significance and then develop uh, habits and ultimately look for acceptance instead of from a place of acceptance. See, for some this morning, this is, this is what God wants to say to you. And you've experienced the grace of God. You say, you know what, I've stepped into a relationship, and yeah, I get that. But there's a difference between just merely experiencing grace and living in grace. And for some, you need to step into the cycle of grace and begin to live in grace. And you just make it a daily, a daily, a daily routine because it's from grace. God has an incredible purpose for your life. How do you experience peace? Grace from God. It's the starting point. You start any other way, you will not experience peace. And then purpose in your life. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Now here's, here's what's so good. 
Because we ask the question, is peace really possible? When you have peace in your world, you're able to bring peace to the world. How, how, how are we going to experience peace on earth at the center of the Christmas story? is this whole idea of peace on earth and the Prince of Peace here is when you begin to experience peace in your world, you become a person of peace to your world. I believe that's how God brings peace to this hurting and broken world. How about you? Where are you at? I mean, maybe you're caught up in a cycle that is producing all kinds of things and you simply need to start a new cycle and step into the cycle of grace and create some habits that remind you of what's really true of you. Maybe you've never stepped into grace and today you go, you know what, I don't have peace and I admit it's because of my own doing. I'm, it's the imperfections. I'm not living up to what I could be and should be and I need appeasement And Jesus died on the cross and rose again to new life that we might have peace with God, peace with ourselves, and be able to be a person of peace to those around us. And when you, by faith, say, God, I desperately need you, would you come into my life? I believe you came for me to bring peace. He says, I'll give you peace. It's interesting. Jesus the night before he was betrayed, or the night he was betrayed and before he was crucified, in John 16, 33, he, he said this. He said, I, I've told you these things that my peace may be in you. Now, here's what I love, especially in the context of the world that we live in. You know what he said Next. He said, in this life, you'll have troubles. But take heart. I have overcome the world. See, God's peace is so powerful that it can super or transcend the troubles of this world. It's not that you have the absence of troubles. You have the presence of God. And as a result, you have the presence of peace. Would you step into peace this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for our time. Thank you that you have brought us peace. That at Christmas we celebrate this incredible reality that God with us, Emmanuel, and the angels declare that peace to men. And that came by the cross to you. God, I pray for the person that uh, 
as a place where they desperately need your peace, would you show up and would you give them a moment of clarity where they just simply would invite you in and they would receive the gift of your grace and your love and your payment. And if you're there, it's just simply this. Would you It's pray, and that's just a conversation with God. But if you're there and you want to start a relationship with God, experience peace in your life, a wholeness and completeness, you just simply go, God, help, I need you. I've messed this whole thing up. Would you forgive me? Come inside my heart and bring peace and make me new. I believe Jesus came for me, died for me, rose again for me. And so I give you my life. I give you my heart. And the truth of the gospel is he will do the same. He'll give you a new heart in return. And for others this morning, you've been in the cycle of hurry. You've been in the cycle of earning and trying. And you need to break the cycle and step into acceptance. And you need to hear from God that when he sees you, he goes, wow. Would you begin to take steps to do whatever it takes to let your heart soak in God's grace and his truth that what's true about you is you're his beloved daughter, son. God, I ask that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard and then the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.